the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program in a brand new week. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And thanks for tuning in to The Word to Stand On for Life. This is a radio show dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and life questions, questions about our faith. Maybe you heard something in church this weekend that you just didn't quite understand. All you have to do is call us and we'll do the best that we can to answer them. Dial 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, it's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa dot com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And once again, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the phone, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for our main number, 340-9585. Hope you had a great weekend. Um, our ladies' retreat, or not retreat, our ladies' conference uh, on Saturday went just wonderfully. Everybody was blessed and talking about it. So uh, Paula said that there were uh, quite a few people or several from the radio audience. Uh, thank you for coming. I pray you are blessed. And um, um, just hope the Lord spoke to your heart. Ladies got saved. Uh, some others recommitted their lives to Jesus. That's what these things are all about. So thank you for and thank you for uh, praying for those of you who prayed. Uh, just real quickly before we get to questions, uh, we're back on full schedule. Now that we've had our get back to school schedule break, uh, all of our Bible studies tonight are on at 7 o'clock. The men's and women's studies at 7. Pastor Ken will be teaching the men. Paula will be teaching the ladies tonight uh, out of the book of Judges. I think it's the book of Judges. It is the book of Judges. And... Um, um, our high school and junior high school studies will also be at the same time at 7 o'clock. Uh, bring the family. It's a great time for a family evening, and that all starts tonight at 7 o'clock. The ladies' uh, Bible study will be uh, live-streamed at uh, calvarysa.com. Well, let's get to some questions while we wait for your phone calls. Uh, here is a question anonymously. It said, I heard a pastor on this station last night. This is a brand new question. I heard a pastor on this station last night say that we can be inflicted with generational curses. He said something that a grandfather or a great friend, grandfather did could attach to us. Uh, how can I be responsible for something someone else did? Uh, anonymous, you can't. And don't give it another thought. I don't know um, uh, what you were listening to or who you were listening to. Uh, but there's no such thing as a generational curse. The man who sins will die. Jesus said we can't um, 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 blame anything on anyone else from a, few, a, a previous generation. 
Uh, at one point in his prophets, Jesus says uh, uh, this saying sets my teeth on edge. In other words, it, it makes me angry. Um, that's not the character and the nature of God. And, you know, we get this question from time to time, Anonymous, and it breaks my heart uh, because it so distorts uh, the Word of God. These are almost always prosperity churches, um, blaming somebody else or something else for your sin uh, is uh, it sells keeps people coming back uh, so uh, it, it's just heresy it's really really bad teaching it upsets Jesus so uh, just don't listen to that anymore here is a question another anonymous one the Bible says all of our days are numbered. Does God cause us to die on the day that he chooses? Um, anonymous, this is one of those things where we have to really think about the foreknowledge of God. God lives outside of time and space. Uh, he knows the end from the beginning. And so we really don't have to, to, to think of it. Well, if he knows, then he causes it. He doesn't cause us to die on the day. Uh, he just knows the day that we're going to die. And, and we have to have comfort in that. God knows everything. This isn't a bad thing. God doesn't cause us. You know, there is an example in Scripture of uh, God sending uh, a prophet to Hezekiah. Hezekiah, who was a good king, um, he, he was afflicted with a, a disease, and he wanted to know, is this disease going to kill me? And God told Isaiah, tell him, yeah, it's going to kill you. And um, Hezekiah without any heirs, without a son to take over. Uh, basically said, God, I've followed you all the days of my life. I've, I, I, what value is it to me not to have someone to leave this kingdom to? And God granted him 15 extra years. 15 extra years. Now, as it turns out, those 15 years weren't super productive years. Not only were they not productive years, the son that was born during those 15 years grew to be the worst, the most evil king Israel ever had. And the result, of course, was um, tragedy for lots and lots of people. So uh, God knows when we're going to die. He doesn't choose it, nor does he cause it. Sarah wants to know, Pastor Ron, how can I understand the issue of eternal security when the Bible seems to say that we're secure, yet we see so many people leaving the faith altogether. You know, Sarah, I always answer this question with the example of Judas. You know, um, Judas, for more than three years, walked with Jesus. For more than three years, Judas did miracles when they went out two by two. Um, they did miracles. They, they healed the sick. They raised the dead. They gave sight to the blind. Judas heard every word that Jesus ever spoke. He saw all of the miracles that Jesus was doing. Um, and to anybody who would look, he looked like a believer. I want you to think about something for a moment. The other disciples would have thought Judas was maybe Jesus' favorite. Judas was the treasurer of the group position of authority, they would have understood that his integrity was beyond question. Certainly the disciple, whoever it was, it was assigned to go out with Judas and do those miracles would have thought he was saved. But Jesus said that he was doomed from the beginning, the son of perdition, the son of the devil, from the beginning. Now everybody would have automatically assumed that he was um a genuine follower of Jesus. But we know he wasn't. Jesus says through the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us because they were never a part of it. So I think my point, Sarah, is you can't base a doctrinal view on your experience. There's a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus. Matthew chapter 13 in the foundational parable of the sower. Jesus said, we scatter seed everywhere we go. The seed represents the word of God. It falls on four different types of soil. And all but one of those soils, there's fruit that's produced. And we'd look at that fruit and we'd say, well, that guy's a believer. That woman is a believer. 
but then they walk away, and that proves that they never were a believer in the first place. Now, they may have thought they were, but God who knows the heart, remember, he always tests the heart, and eventually we're always going to get to the place where we have to make a choice about who we really are. And when people leave the faith, it's a faith they never really owned, they never really possessed. I have had, Sarah, a bunch of people over the years who immediately were fruitful, and I just thought, wow, this is a mature Christian, and, and I, I, you know, I'm just so blessed that God allowed him or her to come to the church and that we get to benefit from the gifts God has given. And, and there was a period of time in, in, in all of these instances that I'm thinking about where we were grateful for the fruit that was being produced. I always think of one guy, and his name's not important, but one guy who was absolutely the best one-on-one, person-to-person evangelist I've ever seen. He wasn't great in front of a crowd, but man, when we go out in the streets, one-on-one, he just sort of had a radar about people that needed Jesus and we'd stop and look back, and there he was talking to somebody, and people were getting saved. And yet not only did he leave the faith altogether, he bombed in a spectacular way. So what was his faith really about? Well, that's between him and the Lord. But now for many, 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 many more years, and he pretended to serve God, he's been walking away from the Lord. So we're eternally secure. Jesus has us in his hand. The Father has us in his hand. No one can snatch us. The Gospel of John promises us that. All we have to do is stay there. If we don't stay there, it's because we never really were secure there in the first place. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, Sarah. Jesus said to the Father, I've lost none that you gave me. All we got to do is stay with Jesus, and we're going to be okay. Good question, Sarah. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Here is a question from Jeffrey. Jeffrey says, I believe in the pan theory of the rapture, that it will all pan out in the end no matter when it, when it really happens. Why is that wrong? Well, Jeffrey, it's wrong because it's sort of childish. I mean, Jesus told us in his word who he is. He revealed his character to us. And I, I think that the, the suggestion from your question is that, you know, it's not important to you to figure out when he's going to come, pre-trib, post-trib, or otherwise. Um, but, it, but it is important because we've got to look up. I've said that many times I was on this program, Jeffrey, that the power in the first century church was in large part, the largest part, because they really expected to see Jesus at any moment. The entire first century church was pre-trib. Every day they looked for Jesus to come and get him. Can you imagine what it must have been like in the middle of his, his, of his, his harshest letter to, to, to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians? When he stopped in chapter 15, after scolding him for everything, he says, listen, I tell you ministry. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. Can you imagine the the effect that had on them, straightening them out? It's really important to have a correct view of doctrine. It's important to make sure your doctrine corresponds with the character and the nature of our Jesus. And then, Jeffrey, it ought to matter to you what's right and what's wrong. You've got a message to communicate to people. And the idea that, you know, it'll all work out in the end, I think is sort of lazy scholarship. Well, Jeffrey, I hope that answers your question without hurting your feelings. Let's go to Cindy calling on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I went to the uh, conference, and it was like going to a mini-retreat, like for a two-day retreat or something. There was so much information, and it it was like going to a tailor and having a garment made where every square inch of you was 
measured and, and you walked out with this perfectly fitting garment. It was it was so so good. But oh, that's great. My, how about how about this? How, how did you enjoy the skits, Cindy? Oh, I love the skits. Those girls are actresses. I, I wish they join our drama team. They were so good. <laughs> they were um, they they were amazing. Good. The, the whole the, the whole day was absolutely wonderful, and the Thank teaching you. was just phenomenal. It, it was so so good. Now in First Peter chapter two, I was reading. I'm going to start in verse seven. Now to those of you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected had become a capstone, and in verse 8, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And it just seems kind of controversial kind of scripture there, so you can um, figure that out, and and I'll get off the phone and and, um, listen. Okay, are you, is your is your primary question about verse eight, Cindy? Lost Cindy. Okay, so Cindy's gone. Um, you know this this is um, um, an Old Testament quote, and what Jesus is is saying is uh, he's making a contrast between those who believe and those who won't believe. And he says to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has, been the, has become the capstone. In other words, the, the essential thing you must believe. And because they don't believe it, it's the stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Now, I think Cindy's question was, they stumble because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. That doesn't mean that God made them do that, Cindy, if that's your question. Um, it means, you remember... God's foreknowledge, he knows uh, who's going to do what. It's like saying that that uh, all who are appointed for salvation believe. That doesn't mean that everybody couldn't believe. It just means that God knew who would believe. Well, in this case, he also believe, knows uh, those who are going to, to, to fall. Uh, Jesus, his message was simple. It's not hard to believe. Um, and yet they rejected it and and because God knew they were going to reject it, that was their destiny. Again, uh, the way it's written in the NIV, which is also what they were destined for, is like God chose some to, to stumble and others to believe. Uh, when when the reality is, is the gospel message goes out to the whole world. So um, they were destined only in the sense that God knew what they were going to do. He didn't cause it. Uh, the same question with Judas. Judas was destined uh, to be the one who betrayed Jesus, that didn't mean that uh, Judas had no other choice. He had lots and lots of other opportunities, even to the last moment when Jesus, uh, uh, receiving Judas's kiss to, to identify Jesus for the Romans, uh, Jesus said, Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And um, that was his destiny. That was his destiny. Pilate was destined to condemn Jesus. He tried not to, but God knew exactly what he was going to do. And it's all because they disobeyed the message in verse 8. And I can say, Cindy, it is the destiny for everyone who refuses the gospel message, everyone who disobeys the message, their destiny is going to be eternity in torment. And it doesn't have to be that. You know what I love about questions like this, Cindy, is it gives me an opportunity so everybody who's listening, and this is a program primarily focused on Christianity and Christians, um, but we've got a lot of unbelievers who listen. And every one of those unbelievers destined for an eternity in torment can change the direction of their destiny simply by obeying the message. What's the message? Believe, repent, ask Jesus into your heart, and in an instant, you're going to find you're on a whole new track to heaven. So, Cindy, that's, the I think, what you're asking about. I hope so. I lost you on the phone just a minute before I got an opportunity to do that. Thank you very, very much. How are we doing on time here? Let me check. Oh, okay, we got time for more questions here. Here is a question from Mason. He says, what can you tell me about Paul Shepard's ministry? 
Um, Mason, I like Paul Shepard. I, I, I think he's a, an exceptionally gifted communicator. I think he is a, a good Bible teacher. Um, I think he's more gifted at communicating than he is as a Bible teacher. But uh, I like his ministry. I've, I've listened to it on local radio here. Um, haven't seen him in person. I don't know him in person. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, from time to time, hear things that make me twinge just a little bit. But by and large, I would say those are easy things to pick out. And, and most of his teaching is rock solid. Um, certainly a different style than somebody like me has. Um, when I said he's a great communicator, he can be funny, he can be poignant all at the same time. Um, but um, um, I, I think his ministry is worth listening to, uh, and I enjoy listening to him the times I get to listen to him. So I think he's somebody that you can listen to without worrying about whether or not you've got a false teacher. Um, you know, people have different styles, different personalities. He can get away with stuff that I could never get away with. If I tried to be funny sometimes like he did, everybody sits there looking at me like, well, what happened to him? <laughs> but uh, I, I like Paul Shepard's ministry, and uh, I especially uh, like um, any ministry that is primarily African-American, um, where the focus is on teaching the Word of God, and and in that focus, they, they, they're serious about holiness and righteousness, um, I, I've answered this question before about Paul's ministry, uh, but here in San Antonio, we have a guy who does that. He, his program follows this one on the radio, uh, Rander Draper uh, from Maranatha Bible Church. And I just love the guy. I love his program and um, love the shepherd that he is over the people that God has given him um, stewardship over. And um, Rander will be able to stand before Jesus on the day and and say, um, um, I, I declared to them the whole counsel of God. Now, he doesn't do it the way I do it. But uh, he tells the truth. He tells the truth in love. And he's passionate about it. So uh, I, I especially like those ministries. Zach wants to know, Pastor Ron, I've heard you say there are no prophets today, but what was the role of prophet in the early church? Zach, the role of prophet was they, they were the, the functional word of God. You know, the Word of God was being written in the first century church. And the Word of God was circulating. We know them as the epistles and, uh, and the gospel accounts of uh, Mark, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and, and those letters were being circulated. Uh, but it was the prophets and prophetesses, by the way. There were prophetesses. Philip had four daughters who were prophets. Um, uh, I'm sure Priscilla, Aquila's uh, wife, was a prophetess. Um, and, and there would have been others, uh, but uh, the prophets were the ones that people would go to when they, they needed direction. Um, and they would have responded with what we now know as the Apostles' Doctrine, or they would have responded as the Word of God. Now, in the first century church, they were not prophets like the Old Testament prophets. The New Testament prophets were more instructional. They were more exhortive and encouraging, but they were so very, very practical. Uh, imagine what it was like when the church just got established on the day of Pentecost. In the very first day, you show up at church, you got 3,000 people there. A couple of days goes by, you got another 5,000 people there. And people getting saved so rapidly and coming in such numbers that nobody knew what to do. Nobody knew what God expected of them. You know, it was one thing to, to hear the gospel and respond, but it's another thing when after being saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, all of a sudden you encounter these problems like they were having in Corinth and nobody knew how to deal with them. So God sent them prophets. In, in the case of Corinth, it was Paul who was a prophet. All of our New Testament writers are New Testament prophets. But there were others, and we see an example of one of these prophets in his role. His name was Agabus. I call him the dramatic prophet. Um, we see that in the book of Acts. Agabus was a guy who who um, um, spoke about Paul's troubles that lay ahead on his way back to Jerusalem. Um, so, so they were sort of just the word of God, uh, only in human form. And they were anointed by and filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, 
there is still the gift of prophecy. We still have the gift of prophecy, Zach, but not the role of a prophet, not the office of a prophet. Ephesians chapter 2 makes it real clear that the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus himself being the cornerstone, imagine Jesus standing in the corner of the foundation of a building, and on one hand he's got the apostles, and on the other hand he's got the prophets, and they're holding hands, and then this this church is being built. And the Greek makes it really clear there that the church is present, active, tent, being built on a foundation that has already been laid. So no more prophets, but we have the gift of prophecy, and it has a real important function in the church. It's not a thus saith the Lord, um, God's called you to this or God's called you to that. It's, it's a gift that's designed to strengthen and edify the church of Jesus Christ in these last days. So prophets then were the word of God, just like we opened our Bibles, they didn't have the Bible to open. Is that a good question? Thank you very, very much. It's Monday. This is the first day of the week. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585. Let's go right to the phones and talk with Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Jimmy. I was I was wondering, were you familiar with a J.D. Farag or an Amir Sarfati or a Jan Markel in their prophecy update, if you're familiar with either one? Uh, I, I am familiar with J.D. J.D. is actually a Calvary Chapel pastor. And uh, I know him not, not super well. It's not like we're good friends or anything. But uh, he's a solid guy and a solid Bible teacher. Um, Jan Markell, I'm not um, crazy about, only because she she tends to the uh, sensational, Jimmy, uh, in the sense that uh, you, you always get the sense she's got a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other hand. Uh, and, and I think prophetic ministries, and, and hers is um, a full-on prophetic ministry, I think it's real easy for them to get out of balance. I don't think there's anything wrong uh, with her doctrine. Uh, I just think maybe her ministry is a little bit uh, out of balance, and that's always a dangerous place to be. And I am unfamiliar with the third person uh, that you mentioned, so I I don't have any comment at all. But I don't think uh, Jan Markell can hurt you at all. I just think if you're discerning and don't get sort of flipped over the top with... with, uh, uh, all of the prophecies that, that she would lead you to believe are coming down the road, uh, I think um, I think you'd be fine. You, you, you've got discernment. I think you'd be fine. Nothing to be afraid of. Does that help? Yes, thank you for your time. My pleasure, Jimmy. God bless you. Thanks for calling. Let's go to a question from Kirby from our mobile app. Can Satan control the weather? Or is he allowed to influence it in particular instances such as the squall in Mark chapter 4, verses 37 through 39? Uh, Kirby, interesting question. You know, uh, Pastor Ken taught for me here yesterday. I was not uh, feeling well. And uh, he taught from this passage. And um, I'm not sure what Ken's position is on this, uh, but the language seems to suggest that that squall was orchestrated by Satan. Can't tell for sure, and certainly nothing that we can be dogmatic about. Uh, But it seems there is times when um, God gives him the ability to to create uh, weather, to create other kinds of of difficult, um, even life-threatening circumstances. And in this case, he would have been allowed to because, um, you know, Jesus was in the boat, and and, uh, the idea there is 
uh, that, that Satan was being used to test the faith of Jesus' disciples. So my personal opinion, and that's all it is, because there's just no way that you can prove it one way or another, is that this was a squall that came up very, very suddenly, and I believe at the hand of, of the devil, uh, trying to frighten them, trying to get them to question the goodness of God. And, and uh, you know, that's kind of what Satan does. When we're in the middle of a trial or we're in the middle of our own personal squalls. Isn't it true? The first thing the devil says is, oh, and, and you think you can trust God? You think God loves you? If God loved you, why would you be in this mess? Um, so um, um, I think he can, uh, but there would be as many, if not more people, um, with the right heart who would say that he can't. So it's one of those things, Kirby, that we just can't know for sure. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very much. Ken did a really good job with that Bible study yesterday. If you want to watch it at calvarysa.com. Here is our next question. It comes from Jackie. Jackie said, Pastor Ron, I've learned so much wrong stuff from a prosperity gospel that I am so confused. How can I unlearn it? Jackie, this is one of the hardest things to do. You know, when you get saved and you go into church, you want to trust everybody. And the reason you want to trust everybody is because your heart is in the right place. And when they start telling you this kind of stuff, it's really hard to get it out. And I know that because I personally was in that situation. When I first got saved, I needed money. And there were these guys telling me God wanted me to have money. And I started to listen. I bought everything they said until I started actually reading the Bible for myself. And their stuff is in there. And I've, I've had people in our church who, who were so damaged by it that they can no longer even hear a good teaching on faith, real faith. So, Jackie, what you've got to do is you've got to start from scratch. Just throw it all away. Can I give you a suggestion, Jackie? Because this is what the Lord used for me. Uh, this is one of the most poignant times in all of my walk with Jesus in my now more than 28 years. I was in a library studying and um, getting a bunch of books. I wasn't looking for this book. I didn't know anything about this author. And uh, I looked down and, and this book was in the middle of it and I started looking at it. It was called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. D-O-N-H-O-E-F-F-E-R. He was... Uh, murdered by Hitler um, on the day before the war ended, when he could have gone free. He was a Lutheran pastor, a, a, a righteous, godly man. And uh, in this particular case, um, his faith cost him his life. And I started reading that book. It's a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Just a paperback. It's not anything too big or too difficult. And when I was done reading that book, and I was a really fast reader back then, when I was done reading that book, I had an entire legal pad of notes. And I remember finishing it, going home, taking those notes out and saying, Paula, they've been lying to us. So I started from scratch. So let me suggest to you, maybe you get that book, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and um, just sort of start from scratch with a blank slate and let the Lord... um, Use that to minister to you and give you sort of a completely different perspective. Thank you. I appreciate the question. Let's go to Charles from San Antonio Online 1. Charles, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor. How you doing? Uh, I miss you and my Charles a lot. Oh, thanks. Um, I have a question for you. Do Does the church offer, like, marriage counseling and stuff like that? Because me and my wife are actually on the verge of possibly deciding to get a divorce, and I don't want that. Yeah. I'm glad you asked, Charles. Yes, we do. Of course we do. And um, the, the reason you don't want it is because that's God's heart in this thing. Uh, so, um, yeah, we do offer marriage counseling. Um, uh, call, make an appointment, uh, talk to Pastor Ken, and uh, uh, either he or I, and most likely him, uh, would be available to do it. He's got a little bit more time for counseling now than I do. Uh, but okay. um, get 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 that taken care of right away. Yeah, I will. Okay, I'll call I'll call Pastor Ken tomorrow morning. I appreciate it, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Charles, if you're still listening, I just re- thought that I uh, remembered Pastor Ken's day off is tomorrow. 
So call him on Wednesday, or better yet, get to the Bible study tonight uh, that he's teaching at 7 o'clock and, uh, and talk to him there. Maggie said, Why would God let the Antichrist come with miraculous power? Um, Maggie, remember that the Great Tribulation and the, the Antichrist, the man we call the Antichrist, is going to be revealed after the church is taken out of here. Paul says he can't be revealed until the church is taken out of the way. And then it's a time of judgment. So God is going to let the Antichrist come with power because the Great Tribulation is the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Now the truth is going to be out there during the Great Tribulation. The Bible says the Antichrist will come with a lie so powerful that even the elect could be deceived if that were possible. Now we know the elect can't be deceived, but that's why Jesus said it. So um, the idea is God is going to provide choices in the last day. He's always He's always provided choices, and the choice is going to be to believe the truth or to believe a lie. And uh, God's going to let this this man we call the Antichrist come with miraculous supernatural power, uh, even to the point of of ra- being raised from the dead. He's going to be um, assassinated. It's going to be a head wound. We're told. And, um, and and he's going to come to life. And everybody's going to believe. And it's funny because they wouldn't believe when Jesus was killed and came to life. So the idea is this is judgment. That's why God is going to do it. And remember, when, when the Antichrist comes, there's seven years left in the world as we know it. So there's no time to, move, to, to mess around. You've got to make a choice. Yes or no, right or wrong. What are you going to do? And... Uh, and most people, unfortunately, are going to make the wrong choice. Miracles don't really convince people. Let's go to Phyllis calling on line one from San Antonio. Phyllis, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Oh, hello, Pastor Ron. I hope you're feeling better. I am feeling a little better, Phyllis. Thank you very much. Well, that's good to hear. Pastor Ken, he, he covered real, real good for you yesterday. <laughs> He always does. <laughs> I had a question. I was in the book of James um, this morning. I understand this is Jesus' half-brother. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, in James 5, uh, I'm trying to find out who is he's actually talking to because it sounds like, um, I mean, it's it's pretty, uh, like, words that are uh, almost like shouting, because when you get to four, <laughs> <laughs> it's a look, the ways that you pay, you fail to pay the workmen who move uh, your fields are crying out against you. Their cries and the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And I know he's uh, uh, talking about some uh, rich people or something, but I'm just trying to get that clarified. If you don't mind explaining it. I'll hang up, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I, I can do it, Phyllis. Thank you very, very much for calling. you, know, you got to love James. I like James because he was so direct. You know, James had a reputation in the first century church as James the Just or James the Righteous. He was known um, uh, as Camel Knees because he spent so much time on his knees. I want you to think for a moment, Phyllis, about James. James was a guy, uh, the eldest brother next to Jesus, Um who thought his brother was out of his mind. Uh, James was a rebel. James didn't believe until the risen Jesus appeared to him. And when James starts this this epistle, he doesn't say, I'm James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You ought to listen to me. Um, You know, James is the one who looks himself as a servant. He's been humbled. James is the one who would have gone through life thinking, how could I have not known that God was in my house? And so James is one of those get-to-the-point guys. And I really like this in his... Because sort of an underlying theme in this whole epistle is be doers and not hearers only of the word. And so what he's trying to do now is rebuke people, some of them who claim to be believers. Now, James is also the most Jewish of all of the epistle writers. So what he's saying, uh, just carrying on... Uh, the end of chapter 4, remember, there's no chapter and verse divisions in the original inspired manuscripts. He says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. 
And after that, he goes right in, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. And what he's saying is, look, take care of the people who work for you. Do the right thing. Pay people what they're what they've got coming. Um, your wealth is not going to do you any good, not going to have any value in the days of judgment. And in fact, he says in the verse you're talking about, the wages you fail to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. In other words, that's a charge, a righteous charge that's already gone ahead of them into heaven. And and many of those rich people would have considered themselves to be believers. And James is basically saying, if you're a believer, act like it. If you're a believer, sound like it. If you're a believer, live like it. I think James is the message, Phyllis, that we would have delivered to the Church of Jesus Christ in the year 2019 right here in the United States of America. And we need somebody to get right to the point. Phyllis, because you attend church here, you know how direct I can be. And uh, I feel like that's kind of where James is coming from throughout the whole thing. He, 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 he seems to be insensitive at times, but in reality it's the love for Christ and the love of Christ flowing through him to others. He wants people to be serious. No more time to play around. And remember, he believed he was in the last days. He believed that at any moment Jesus was coming back for his church. So this is a warning. And the truth is, and this is a great word for people in our generation, the truth is, is he was um, uh, uh, sounding a clarion call uh, to the people who are out there. He didn't want people to be comfortable when they were in sin. Because you've lived your life on earth in luxury and self-indulgement. In, in, uh, you've condemned and murdered innocent men. And he tells the other ones to be patient until the Lord's coming. The idea then is that God will make things even. He will vindicate those who are victimized. So James is just straightforward, to the point, a great, great little epistle. Hard one to teach because it's so direct, and you're right. He is shouting, but it's not a shout of anger, Phyllis. It's a shout of alarm. Good question. Thank you very, very much. I've taught James a couple times, and every time I teach James, people give me the message, come on, lighten up. Don't be so hard. And, And I tell them, wasn't nearly as hard as it would have been coming from James's mouth if he were here preaching. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Randall has a question about megachurches. Are megachurches like Joel Osteen's more blessed than smaller churches? Randall, the answer to the question is no, absolutely not. Uh, Joel Osteen's church is not blessed, not at all. Uh, people that go there aren't being blessed at all. Their their ears are being tickled. Uh, a false gospel is being preached. Um, I've made this statement before. I get questions from time to time about Joel Osteen. I, I think he's probably a real Christian. But I think when he stands before the Lord and Jesus asks him, why were you ashamed of my word? I don't think he's going to be able to look at Jesus and say, well, I wanted everybody to feel good about themselves. I wanted everybody to pursue wealth. I don't think he's going to be able to look at Jesus and say, I wanted them to live their best life now. And I think he's going to answer for a lot. So, assuming the best, that he's a believer, uh, he's um, um, sort of a wolf in sheep's clothing, uh, and only God knows whether or not he's really a believer. Joel Osteen knows, and has been called repeatedly on, this nonsensical gospel that he proclaimed. God loves you. And while the words are true, if Joel Osteen loved the people that came to his church in Houston, he'd tell them the truth in love, and he would be direct. But there's no correlation at all between size and blessing. Now, here's something to think about, Randall. The average church in the United States is under 100 people. That's the average church. Joel Osteen's church and other huge churches are 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 very few in number and, and they're an anomaly compared to the whole. 
a lot of churches never have a chance to be big because God sends faithful men into small places. I've seen really, really gifted, faithful, Jesus-worshipping, Jesus-loving pastors sent by God to go to places where their church can never grow. We sent a a, a young pastor, Samuel, to uh, Anchorage, Alaska. And when he came to me and he said, you know, this is where God is calling us. And and I, I said, you know, you'll never have a big church. You'll never have a church probably more than 50 people. I just wanted him to understand that's what he was getting into. And testing him, he knew that that's where God was sending him. And when I said goodbye to Samuel, when we let him teach the night, uh, the last night here at Calvary Chapel, I told the church that sometimes it really hurts when God sends somebody, but he loves people so much that he doesn't send somebody who's not gifted. He doesn't send uh, you know, somebody who's mediocre. And in Samuel's case, I told our church, he sent the best we had. And Samuel was one of those guys who was tested and true. But my point is that the people, however few there are in South Anchorage, Alaska, those are men and women who are truly blessed by the Lord because he sent them a shepherd who's going to tell them the truth, he's going to tell them the truth consistently, and he's going to tell them the truth lovingly. We have rural areas in our country where churches are never going to be more than a few people. You think God doesn't love them as much as he loves the people in Houston, Texas? So it only the appearance of blessing. Let me say one other thing, Randall, and then I'll move on. It's really simple to have a big church. It really is simple to have a big church. Not simple to manage one, but simple to get one. And all you have to do is be gifted and tell people what they want to hear. That's all you have to do. Tell people what they want to hear. And people will come. The problem is they're not going to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. They're not going to hear the truth about sin. And if there's a pastor who's telling people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear, Jesus was the prototypical, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. And you know how small his church was at the end. It was only after three and a half years of ministry, there was only 120 people in that upper room on the day the Holy Spirit fell. So I hope that answers your question. No no correlation between size and blessing. Now, honestly, there are some small churches that need to stay small. But sometimes it's just God sending somebody who's really faithful, who's willing to be a servant of God. Jason said, how do we trust the New Testament if it was written hundreds of years after Jesus' death? Jason, study how we got our New Testament. You know, we've got a foundations class here at Calvary Chapel, and uh, I thought they are going to start yesterday, but apparently they weren't. I don't know when they're going to fit it in. But we're going to have a, a class. We've added a class in that, that group about how we got our Bible. So study how we got it. Let me suggest a book. Uh, to you, an easy one to read, and then if, you're, if your appetite gets whetted, you can dig in a little more deeply. Uh, but there's a book called The Case for the Bible by Lee Strobel. Uh, there's another little uh, paperback, Know What We Believe, and there's another one, Know Why We Believe, by a man named Paul Little, L-Y-T-T-L-E. And, and you're going to find that your whole premise is wrong. The New Testament wasn't written hundreds of years after Jesus' death at all. Uh, the letters to the Corinthians, the letters to the Romans, the letters to the Thessalonians, um, uh, all of those letters were written within 30 to 40 and maybe 50 years after Jesus' death. Now, they weren't recognized as Scripture because there wasn't a canon of Scripture yet, but the people reading them understood them as equal to Scripture. Peter says Paul's letters are hard and weighty, as the other scriptures are. He recognized that they were scripture. But the New Testament wasn't written hundreds of years after Jesus' death at all. The last letter in your New Testament written was the Apostle John, the book of Revelation, in about 90 to 95 A.D. So, Jason, we trust it because it was written 
by the hand of God at just the right time. So don't just listen to what people say or what they write on the Internet. Check it out for yourself. Uh, There is a book that I've recommended many times on this program by F.F., like Frank Frank, Bruce, uh, called The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? So find out for yourself. I'll spare you the sermon on how this is the most important thing that any believer can do in in their walk with Lord is find out whether we can depend on our Bible or not. But dig in for yourself. Be interested enough not to get your information online. But instead, go to the resource material. And by the way, all the books that I mentioned will have great bibliographies. And you can really dig in and find um, ground floor source information that will bless you abundantly. So Jason, the New Testament wasn't written hundreds of years after Jesus' death at all. Uh, It was written as close to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as they could possibly have been. So I hope that answers your question. We are running out of time for today's program. Let me remind you uh, as we sign off today that our men's and women's Bible studies are tonight at 7 o'clock. Paula will be teaching the ladies, Pastor Ken teaching the men. We also have our high school and junior high school studies um, um, mixed groups, men and women, uh, at the same time. It's a great night for a family night. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it more than you know. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.